Disney Roulette is a movie review podcast in which we discuss, in detail, the movies available on Disney's streaming service. In internet speak, that means, spoiler alert, you've been warned. Also, while Disney films are safe for the whole family to enjoy together, this show is not. Listener discretion is advised. All that said, let's do this shit. Disney Plus Roulette, a magical movie review podcast. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm your co-host, Bob. Also, Unicorn Hustler, apparently. Unicorn Hustler? Yeah, I took a social media course and it's my ideal uh, new job. Oh, you're gonna, you gonna get me one of those? Well, Hustler, I mean, I'm, I can get as many as we need. I just need to find somewhere to hustle them from. Because I don't think there's any laws against hustling unicorns. Just saying. Yes, from my understanding, the issue with unicorns has never been lack of demand. It's been uh, fulfilling the orders, as it were. But if you find one for me, it better shit rainbows. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start us off by saying that uh, I'm just going to call this episode sponsored. This episode was sponsored by Nick. Nick, thank you so much for your donation to the podcast and for your purchase from the store. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right, so let's get into some news because they had some big drops this week and I am psyched about it. First of all, Anastasia has come to Disney+. Plus. She is officially a Disney princess. I'm very excited. This obviously is a result of the Disney Fox merger. I've met many people who thought Anastasia always was a Disney princess. She technically wasn't. Anastasia was a Don Bluth movie. He used to work for Disney. By the time Anastasia was made, he was working for Fox. So she's always been a Fox property. But with the merger, she's now a Disney princess. And I could watch that movie every day of my life for the rest of my life. So... I'm excited. Does that mean that Planet Bob is Disney canon now? What's Planet Bob? (gasps) Titan AE. Oh, Titan AE. Yeah, technically. Wow. Fun fact. What do Titan AE and Atlantis the Lost Empire have in common? Uh, you got me on that one, I think. Joss Whedon is a writing credit on both of them. Really? True story. But back to our drops. In addition to Anastasia, we have Big, the Tom Hanks classic, Sky High, which is a fantastic movie and I think critically underrated. It is so good. It's actually up in the, I'd say, top 10, top 15 superhero movies for me. Like, it's a legit good movie. Yeah, and it holds up really well, too. And also dropping this week is Taylor Swift Folklore, The Long Pond Studio Sessions, which I guess is kind of like a VH1 unplugged for the new kids and Taylor Swift. I like Taylor Swift, though. I'll probably watch it at some point. Let's be real. Yeah, I saw it. I mean, uh, my brother is a huge fan of Taylor Swift, so it'll be a big thing for him. Yeah. 
And there were also some seasonal items that recently dropped. We've got a Disney holiday sing-along, the Nutcracker in the Four Realms, and the Wonderful World of Disney, a magical holiday celebration. So if you need some fun Disney spirit to get you in the Christmas mood, they have got you covered there too. And that was that newer Nutcracker movie, right? Yes. Okay. I never did see that. I kind of want to. Even if it's not a great movie, it just looks really pretty. So I think it'd be an enjoyable enough experience just seeing it. Yeah, I actually ran audio for a Nutcracker performance, I'd say, three years in a row? Something like that. It was a while. And also coming on the 18th is On Point. It's a documentary series about teens in ballet. Speaking of ballet. Yeah. I'm actually pretty excited about this show. I love anything. I just love watching experts do what they are great at. Whether that is an expert cook or an artist... I can fall down YouTube rabbit holes of watching people craft things and do amazing dance. Like, I just love people at peak human expression and... Peak human performance. And performance, yeah. So I'm kind of excited about that. And I'm excited that it's a series and not just a movie. The only other thing I've got for news, this isn't even really news, it's just kind of a cool little thing. If you don't follow Disney Plus on Facebook, you definitely should. They are dropping WandaVision teaser posters and it's basically just the same picture of a tv but it's taken in different decades so there's a shot of them on a black and white tv with 40s decor all over the house and there's a 60s one and a 70s one they're just cool little teaser posters and i've been getting really stoked for the show seeing those pop up every week or so yeah i'm super stoked for that and a little bummed we're not going to get that this in 2020 but uh it actually has me looking forward to 2021 now. Yeah, and it's only two weeks. At least it didn't get bumped to, like, March. Right. But speaking of WandaVision, what do you got for us on the Marvel Minute this week, Bob? Marvel Minute? It's official. Haley Steinfeld was seen on set with Jeremy Renner on set at the Hawkeye TV series. Yes, she was. And even more important, maybe... Well, maybe not, but... No, nah, it, it's just as important. Equally as exciting for me is the presence of Pizza Dog, a.k.a. Lucky, the golden retriever that Hawkeye rescues in the Matt Fraction comic. He is Hawkeye's like iconic sidekick now, and I'm so happy that Pizza Dog is in it. Yeah, I honestly, if you don't know, now you know, go read the comic book Matt Fraction version of Hawkeye. It's well worth the read. It's so, so good, and it's a good gateway comic. Because it just kind of, it's really small little stories, and it's basically what Hawkeye's doing when he's not being an Avenger. And it's just him in his apartment in New York City. That sounds boring. I know it does. And honestly, Kate got me into it. Like, I, you know, huge epic comic nerd. I, I was like, Hawkeye, hmm, oh well, not my biggest thing. But she was like, no, you just trust me. It's really good. Read it. And it... It's honestly one of the better runs out there right now. Yeah, it's so good. And there's a whole issue that is told from the dog's point of view, which was geniusly put together. It's just, it's amazing. And it's just like a nice little read. It's got a lot of heart to it. It's a lot of just him protecting his neighbors from these Russian thugs that have moved into the neighborhood. It's just him like being a good guy. And I cannot wait for this TV show. The second that they announced there was going to be a Hawkeye TV show, I was like, please let it be Matt Fraction. Please let it be Matt Fraction. 
and I'm over the moon. I can't wait. And Kate Bishop is such a fun character. She's such a spitfire. I'm excited to see if Haley Steinfeld and Jeremy Renner have that good banter going that Clint and Kate have in the comics. Uh, it's just, this is my Marvel dream come true. Of all of the Marvel properties, this is the one that I wanted the most. And I realize I've completely hijacked your Marvel Minute, and I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Oh, I took a minute. You you take yours. <laughs> That's it. I'm done gushing now. That's the big news. I mean, everything else coming down the line as far as Marvel is mostly movies, but we're still excited for all that stuff. So, yeah. All right. So that means it's time to move on to our movie. And it is, in fact, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Our drink this week for the movie, I'm calling The Lost City. It is fun because it involves construction. You build a little city of sugar cubes. I just took a little bit of corn syrup and put it on the bottom of the glass, stuck two sugar cubes there and another one on top, made a little triangle, and that's my little city. And then in a separate cup, you mix two shots of blue curacao, one shot of silver tequila, and two tablespoons of lemon juice. Mix that up and fill the cup the rest of the way with Sprite. And then pour all of that gently along the side of the glass so that it doesn't knock over your city. But then once the drink is in there, your city will start to crumble and fall apart. Yeah, fizzes. It's really cool to watch. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to try this. I hope it works. And totally expected it to not work at all. But it actually came out really well. So that was fun. And it doesn't taste half bad. So Atlantis The Lost Empire is a 2001 theatrical release. It is a standard Disney full-length animated feature. It was created by Gary Trousdale and Kirk Wise, who are directors. Producer Don Hahn and screenwriter Tab Murphy. Those guys all work together on my favorite full-length animated feature, Hunchback of Notre Dame. When they finished making Hunchback, they all sat down for a meal together and they started reminiscing about movies in general and kind of talking about how they wanted to work together again, but they didn't know exactly what they wanted to do. And they started talking about Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and kind of got into that whole, they don't make them like that anymore. And then they decided, hey, we should make them like that now. So that's kind of where the initial concept came from of having more of a high action, not musical Disney movie. Can we go back to that idea and make some original content? Um. <laughs> and then as they were workshopping through it all, they decided to throw it in a dash of Jules Verne. And that's really when the concept of Atlantis started to solidify. They knew they wanted to do some kind of old expedition kind of thing. With a dash of sci-fi. Yeah, and they ended up settling on the concept of finding the lost city of Atlantis. And if somebody tries to tell me that Stargate did not have some kind of influence on this, <laughs> I call a hard, hard bullshit. It's literally the same logo. The A for Atlantis is drawn the same way as the A from Stargate. Ooh. There's no little circle over the top of it, but the base of the A is exactly the same. And Milo Thatch and Daniel Jackson are the same person. Basically, yeah. I mean, one is Michael J. Fox and one was, you know, Ultron. So... Ultron? Oh. Original was movie. I know, I know. I do not jump to the movie initially, sorry. I was gonna go Smallville Hawkman. Yeah, I'm pulling out the trivia here. <laughs> but that was first. Props to Michael Shanks, by the way. Yeah. We're talking around his name and not saying his actual name. But yes, originated by James Spader, 
But, I mean, they even kind of look the same. Small, yeah. lanky, sandy blonde hair, super nerd, expert in languages, finds this ancient civilization and falls in love with the chick and is like, I live here now. Like, <laughs> that, Wow, wow. I did, yeah, wow. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. Anyway, other trivia. Please meme that. People meme meme that. Oh, I'm sure it exists. I'm sure it existed in 2001 when the movie came out. I bet it does. This is actually super cool. The Atlantean language that they made for the movie was made by Mark Ockrand, and he's the same guy who created Vulcan and Klingon. Oh. Just fucking baller. Oh, you do see the parallel there, though, right? I mean, now we've ventured into Star Trek. Yes. Kida's dad, the king, is oh, played yes. by Leonard Nimoy. Yes, he was. We have come full circle. So basically, this is just a huge mishmash of sci-fi adventure from all throughout the ages. Now I'm really sad I didn't get back into this in 2001 because I was a freshman in college. I was looking for those kind of things, and, and this one kind of slipped by me. Yeah, I think it slipped by everyone. It was a pretty big failure. <laughs> all right, well, let's get into the movie. We start with a flashback. We are in the city of Atlantis, and there is a giant wave coming towards the city. Kida is a little kid at this point, and she's the princess. Her mom gets all blue glowy-eyed and gets sucked into the sky like she's being abducted by aliens. But she just gets sucked up towards this big blue light, and a big dome forms over the city, and then the city sinks under the waves as the water crashes onto it. So the city is under the water, but it is protected by this bubble thing. So then we go to quote-unquote current time, which is actually 1914. Uh, and one of the trivia things I read was that this is one of the few Disney movies that actually takes place at a particular time. Wow. Most of the other ones, they very, very rarely give you a year. Did. Yep. We meet Milo Thatch, who, like you said, is voiced by the glorious Michael J. Fox. He is doing a presentation that there is a power source lost within this lost city and he proposes finding the city and bringing the power source back to the surface so the power i wonder if it relegated to like 1.21 gigawatts <laughs> i'm gonna start keeping a tally of how many michael j fox references i can do as much as i can I'm, i i only got you know a few so then he turns the lights on after the proposal's done and it turns out he's doing a practice proposal for a bunch of dummies that he's set up for himself and he's actually working in the boiler room of the university or the museum whatever it is that he's working at and we find out that he's got an old explorer grandfather who he kind of idolizes so he gets a message that they have moved his meeting for his proposal and they did it on purpose so that he'd miss it they pulled a uh, harry potter switcheroo there because they are tired of him trying to propose missions to Atlantis. They think he's a little bit cuckoo. They were like, oh, it's already 4.30 or 4.15 or whatever. Your meeting was moved to 3.30. What? Like, he literally just got this message. Yeah. He tries to chase them down, but they're like, get out of here. We don't care. So he goes home all defeated. And in his house is a blonde, slightly more androgynous Jessica Rabbit <laughs> by the name of Helga Sinclair. Androgynous is not the word I would use there because I checked the rating on this movie to make sure I was still watching a Disney movie when she walked in the door. Yes, but also later on. Yes. Let's just put it this way. 
Helga Sinclair was a bi icon for many young teens. Oh, she was fit. Yeah. Anyway, she's waiting in his apartment for him, and she says her employer has a proposition for him. And her employer is Master Whitmore. She takes Milo to see him. He's an old kook doing yoga, and he is a friend of Milo's grandfather's. He's like, hey, I got something from your grandfather to give to you. And it is the Shepherd's Journal, which is a guidebook to find Atlantis, basically. And I gotta say, this movie, honestly, at that time, is a who's who of famous actors or great actors, even if they weren't completely famous. But Whitmore was voiced by the same guy who was Fraser's dad. John Mahoney. Yep. But Whitmore has a submarine for Milo to lead an expedition to find Atlantis. So then we smash cut to Milo vomiting off the side of the ship as they are sailing out to the ocean. Then we kind of start meeting all of our extraneous cast of characters. Helga is there. It turns out she's the lieutenant for this mission. We meet Cookie, who is a crazy southern guy, and the cook for the crew. We find out that he is terrible at his job. Ernest P. World. Jim Varney who we figured out by the end of the movie has actually passed away because in the credits, this one was for Jim Varney. Yeah, apparently he had already gotten a terminal diagnosis. Like he knew that he was not going to see the movie through to the end. Wow. Um, But apparently he filmed all but one line. So there's like one line that's given by somebody else, but he managed to make it through almost the whole thing, which is awesome. And then we meet Vinny and he is an Italian who has so many explosives. And we meet Commander Rourke, who is running the whole thing. He is voiced by James Garner, yep. who was fantastic. Back it. <laughs> Every episode, she's got to make herself known. Was there a dog character in this one? <laughs> no, stupid. Then we meet Moliere. He is the rock drilling expert. He loves dirt. Yeah, but he's also kind of a creepy little pervy Frenchman French mole man who likes to sleep in the yeah. ground emphasis on strange character Moliere yeah they just call him mole for short and he's very strange and then the oh, last two we meet are that's a reference Moliere the French play in the play the guy is ugly but convinces everyone he's important that is a re- oh wow boom done <laughs> and then we meet the last two, who are two of my favorites, personally, Dr. Sweet, who is the... He's not Lil Sweet. No, he's, he's a very, sweet. very large man, who's their doctor, and Audrey, who is a teenager, Latina lady, and she is the engineer. Yeah, I gotta say, as far as representation, they did pretty well in this one. Yeah, bang in representation. And actually, uh, one of the things I read is that Dr. Sweet is one of the first African-American characters that's like one of the lead characters in a disney movie ever yeah so they are making their way down in the submarine and they come across sunken ships from every era they've been attacked by a giant metal lobster thing it turns out because now they are being attacked by this giant metal lobster thing which they called the leviathan yes they manage to escape from the submarine before it completely wrecks the thing in what i just called puddle jumpers because this is stargate atlantis (laughs) i did um, not even go there yeah that's that's funny yeah (laughs) there was in fact an entire series of stargate dedicated to atlantis no i got yes i know that part i meant the puddle jumper (laughs) reference i did not go there um one thing i noted that 
we never really took care of was they noticed that the Leviathan is a machine Milo does, mm-hmm. but we never like dealt with is somebody piling it? Is it artificial intelligence? Is it alive? We just never dealt with that. My understanding or my guess would be that it's the same that is powering all of the giant metal things at the end. Okay. Yeah. Just set to auto protect. Gotcha. Yes. To find Atlantis, they have to go through what Milo is calling a grease catch. He just keeps yelling, it's a grease catch. It's just like a kitchen sink. It's a grease catch. It's just like a kitchen sink. But they have to kind of go through this looping really small tunnel that then opens up to the bigger area where Atlantis is. So they manage to get away from the giant lobster by going through the tunnel and then they come up the other side. Let me just say, I've had to clean a grease trap at a food service place and uh, not fun. You don't want to have to go through the grease trap. Oh yeah, I, I would assume not. That does not seem like a good time at all. By the way, we we're pouring milk down that drain. Good oh, luck. Oh no. No. Yeah. Ugh. But at this point, only a fraction of their crew has made it to the other side. Yeah, and... And I thought to myself, I was like, this has got to be the largest body count that's ever happened in a Disney movie. Because they just keep showing, like, ship after ship getting blown up. They literally say that they set out with over 200 people. Yeah, and by the time they get there, they're at, like, what, 20? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But turns out... Trivia, as of 2020, it still holds the record for the highest body count in a full-length Disney animated movie. (laughs) Called it. Yeah, people dying left and right in this bitch. Again, I was kind of like, we're sure this is a rated G Disney movie, right? It's PG. Oh, is it? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. So when they get to the air pocket on the other side, they have a little mini funeral because they've lost the vast majority of their crew. Then we get to a long exploring montage where Milo's just continuing to make himself look like a dum-dum. He can't drive a car. He's clumsy. He's just very much not the outdoorsman. But then the drill breaks down and Milo kind of gets his moment to shine because the problem with the drill is actually the boiler. So he spews a lot of technical terms at Audrey and explains that it's this particular boiler and it's got its weird kinks and stuff. And he kind of gets to redeem himself a little bit by fixing the drill. She definitely showed that she was a little taken aback by his, like, oh, you're being a douche now. But at the same time, she kind of gave him a new level of respect because he actually did know something. Yeah, and I think it was either that night or maybe a a night after or something. They actually all invite him to come over and eat with them because they've been razzing on him and picking on him and... Nobody wants to feel left out. Yeah, so they invite him over and they're chit-chatting and then they all have some bonding time and they actually take time to develop all of these side characters and you find out why they're all there. It turns out Vinny is obsessed with explosives because he worked at a flower shop and the dry cleaners next door exploded. He said it was like he saw God when the, when this explosion went off and he knew that he, that was his calling. And They had to bust him out of prison in the quick, where did we get these people thing too. Yeah. And Audrey was raised in a shop with her dad. So that's why she's a teenager who knows more than most grown men. And they like really took time to flesh out all these characters, which I thought was super cool. they fleshed out her sister. Yeah. And we never even saw her. Mm -hmm. They go into the fact that her, her dad wanted boys and he wanted one build in the shop with him and one to be a heavyweight champion. And Milo asks, what, what happened to your sister? 
And she said, well, if she's, uh, you know, 24 and 0 and she's up for the title next week. We start seeing some indigenous people in masks investigating the camp kind of in the background. And then these fireflies show up and they actually cause fire and set the whole camp on fire. They are now being swarmed by these literal fireflies. More extraneous crew members are now dead from explosions from the fire. Explosions and fire. Yes. Tents were set on fire. This is where in my notes I said, does this hold the record for the most body counts? Yes, it does. After they get away from all the fireflies, the surviving crew does a head count and Milo is not there. He wakes up to one of those masks in his face and it is a grown-up Kida. He's got a cut on his chest. She uses a crystal around her neck to kind of power her hand and then heal him. But then the crew rolls in with their big old drill and the others run off. Um, but then the crew comes right behind them and then everybody meets the Atlanteans, basically. There's really no point in them running off because they literally cut to them in the next scene and everybody's talking. Yeah. The Atlanteans can speak tons of languages because of the Tower of Babel or something. Like, they kind of tried to throw in an explainer about why everyone could speak English, even though they've been down there for thousands of years by themselves. What I took from it, because at the beginning of the movie, they dealt with the fact that they traded with all countries around the world far before anyone else was actually traveling the world. Yeah, so they're saying, like, root languages... They knew the root languages so they can kind of figure it out, but... Uh, right. You know, Disney movie. That's yep. fine. Disney sci-fi. Stargate had the same issue. Everyone in the galaxy speaks English. It's fine. Let's just go with it. So, Kida takes them to the king. Mr. King Nimoy makes it clear that they are not welcome. He does not want them there at all. He wants them to scoot. Bye, Felicia. But they convince him to let them stay for one night. After they leave, Kida's saying, you know, our way of life is dying and we need to do what we can to try to stay, you know, alive and still a functioning society. Like it's literally starting to crumble around them. And he says it's not dying, it's preserved. And they've been around for thousands of years and they'll be around for thousands more. So the next scene, we go to Kida and Milo and they are basically just being nerds, asking each other questions about their various civilizations. She reveals that she is 8,800 years old, and he can read their language, but she can't. Somewhere in all of this city-sinking business, they've lost the ability to read their own language. So they do a montage of them exploring the city and getting to know the people, and then she takes him to some ruins underwater so he can translate all of the writing on the ruins' walls. When they get to the surface, after they've done all this big discovery stuff, the whole crew is waiting there with guns drawn. And it turns out they're all there for the power source and money. They've stolen the page of the journal that says where it is, and they make Milo translate it for them by threatening to kill Kida. So all these characters that they spent all this time developing that you've grown attached to, they're like, just kidding, they're assholes, and they just want money. Yeah. That took me aback, because, as you said, we really spent some time with them. Really got you endeared to them. And when they turn, it's not... Oh, so sorry. We're so sorry that we have to do this. It's, yeah, we're pointing guns at you. We're like, we will kill you. And I believe Jim Varney's character says something of the fact of sweet Jefferson Davis O'Malley or something like that. And like references the president of the Confederacy. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That made me uncomfortable. (laughs) 
So they figure out that the power source is in the pool in front of the king's throne. They figure out how to go down this tunnel thing to get to it. And Kida's crystal starts reacting to it and she gets all glowy-eyed like her mom did at the beginning of the movie. And then starts to walk on water. Yeah. No big deal. Just gonna pull some Jesus moves right here. There's a big spinning glowing thing and then she also gets lifted up to it, alien abduction style. It spins really, really quickly. And then when Kida reappears, she is a see-through water goddess lady. Yeah, she glows. Yeah. Um, and then God Kido walks back to shore and they bolt her into this metal container for transport back to the surface. Thank goodness we had this metal container that we had no idea we really needed. Oh, I'm about to talk about some <laughs> very convenient equipment that magically appeared even though they lost all of their transport means. Don't you worry, I'm going to talk about that. Ah. So... <laughs> As the crew is leaving, Milo starts guilt tripping all of them, and Aubrey is the first to cave and go back and stand with Milo. Milo straight up calls the rest of the crew that he ate with, just calls them out. Well, you'll have plenty of money to go open up two flower shops and, you know, your another garage with your dad, and he's going to be so proud of you, and like lays it out. And I'm like, you go, Milo. Yeah, he pulled no punches for sure. Show him where it's at. But then everybody pretty much is like, oh yeah, we're being assholes. We should do the right thing. So everyone except for the commander and Helga join Milo and stand against him. But at this point, there's not really anything they can do because they've still got a bunch of guns pointed on them. They've got a bunch of nameless henchmen in masks that we don't actually see. So they're basically just staying behind because it's the right thing to do, not because they're actually being able to do anything helpful at this point. The commander and Helga cross the bridge and then blow it up to trap everybody there. When they do, the crystals kind of start to die. Everybody in the town has these crystals around their necks and their crystals start to die. And those crystals grant them longevity and all that kind of stuff. Literally, the water that was spilling off this giant kind of floating island has even stopped. Like, Atlantis will die without Kida is what we're saying. Yeah. And speaking of dying, so is the king. We go back to him, and as he's dying, he is explaining kind of the lore of the city a little bit. Uh, he says that the crystal will choose someone of royal blood to protect the people. He tried to use it as a weapon of war back in the day, but it was too strong, so he buried it under the water, and he lost his wife to the crystal because she never got unbound from it. So all that shit that happened with the city sinking was his fault. Way to go. And he wants to save Kida from the same fate, and he asks Milo to save her. They all mount up in flying fish vehicles, and they fly up to save her. You heard that right. Fish vehicles. Flying ones. And at one point, I think one of the characters said, you got anything sporty, you know, like a flounder? A tuna. Tuna. Was it a tuna? It was a tuna. That was almost the stinger for the end of this episode. So somehow, Mr. Bad Guy not only had that convenient metal cage that you were talking about, Bob, uh -huh. He also has an elaborate hot air balloon thing to raise it out of the chamber. And he's really? also got a bunch of small planes so the characters can engage in aerial combat. What's really interesting about these planes is that they actually have their own little catapults that throw them to start flying, too. What I found interesting about this hot air balloon is that when they were on their way into Atlantis through this big highway, they called it, they found that they were inside the cone of a volcano. At this point, it's dormant and it's everything's cool. 
but they didn't know that that was going to be there. So the fact that they have this elaborate hot air contraption to go up the shaft of this dormant volcano. And multiple airplanes. <laughs> and multiple airplanes is so forethought. Helga does say that he's never surprised, but that bodes on clairvoyance. That, <laughs> sir, is a line that we call an explainer. <laughs> <laughs> Because we have something that doesn't make sense and we know people are going to try to poke holes in it. So here's your explainer. Bringing it back to Jan Daniel Jackson and his favorite line that he said in Stargate, it's okay, we'll hang a lantern on it, is the term used by writers. There you go. So Rourke and Helga are escaping in the balloon. They have a fallout and Rourke fucking throws that bitch off the balloon. That and they was, show her yeah. careening towards the rock floor. It was a literal fallout. He just goes, oh no, we have to get more weight off this thing. And he goes, all right, bye. And like just shoves her straight arm off the side of the thing. And then as she's lying there broken on the ground, homegirl like musters the energy to pull out a flare gun and shoots the balloon with the flare gun as a final fuck you before she dies. Hell has no fury like a woman scorned. Yeah. Milo at this point has jumped onto the balloon in an attempt to try to rescue Kida and he scratches Rourke with the crystal. What happens is he busts through the window on her prison, which number one, if she's so powerful that they need this big metal prison, why are we putting a, a window on it? But whatever. He smashes through it and Milo takes a piece of the glass that is somehow endowed by the crystal. And that's what he slashes him with. Ooh, I missed that part. Yeah. But also, that gets my vote for the most horrific Disney death I have ever seen. It was rough. His arm starts turning to crystal. And as it goes up his arm and it starts having like these uh, veins of lava or fire coming up it. And literally you see inside his mouth and his eyes. And it's just that fire lava. And it takes over his entire body and he just is consumed by this thing. And I was just like, oh, oh, that is, this is not a kid's movie. Yeah, that's not a good way to go. And I also thought while watching that, Oh, this is one of the ones where the hero actually does the deed. Me and the bestie have talked about it a lot. There are not a lot of Disney movies where the bad guy doesn't bring about their own undoing. And that was actually another thing that I read in the trivia was that this was one of the few movies where the hero actually contributed to the death of the villain. Yep. So he goes into full crystal. He and the balloon fall down and go boom. And Milo manages to get down safely. How did he do that? I don't remember. <laughs> I know he, like, he was hanging on her prison, but I don't remember how that actually happened. Huh. He probably just hit the ground on the prison, and they're saying the prison broke his fall. Let's be real. <laughs> Magic. Um, so, at this point, the floor has now taken a lot of very hard hits and explosives, so the volcano is active and starts to crack and boil and explode. They manage to get Kida back to the city just barely, with Milo clutching onto the prison as it gets drugged behind a plane. Uh, Tuna. A Tuna, excuse me. A Tuna, you're right. Kida is released from the prison. She repowers the city, including these giant robot dudes. And they walk to the edges of the city. They, like, do this weird hand thing that generates a shield, and then the shield expands covers the whole city, kind of think a Wakanda situation. The lava covers the city. 
Or if you've seen this TV show, I heard it's called Stargate Atlantis. They kind of have the same kind of bubble, too. Oh, yeah, they sure do. <laughs> the lava covers the city, but then hardens and cracks and breaks apart. And ta-da, the city is safe. Yeah. And then the best thing in the whole fucking movie shows up. They have a ship shaped like a narwhal. And that made me the most happy. Narwhal, Anyway, that's going to be in my head all night. You are welcome. Everybody's packing up onto this narwhal ship to go home. The Atlanteans let the crew take a bunch of gold for helping them, I assume. But Milo decides to stay because he loves the civilization and also he got the hots for Kita. Let's be honest. What are they going to do with gold? It's not like they're trading it with anybody. True. Touche. First, I thought you meant the explorers and I was like, they got a lot they can do with that gold. No, no, no. The Atlanteans. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. They're self-sustaining and immortal. (laughs) There you go. We go to all of the crew members. They are back at Whitmore's. Basically, Whitmore is going over the bullshit story that they're all going to tell to cover up the city so that no one goes looking for it. And they basically say, all the other people died in an accident. There's nothing there. No one should go looking for the city. It's a waste of time. Yep. Pay no attention to all these crystals we've got on our bodies and all these riches that we magically have now. Yep. So Whitmore flips through these pictures that they took there. In those pictures is a small envelope and Milo has put a crystal in it as a gift for him. Like, hey, this has been your life's dream of finding this place. Here's your proof that it exists. That was a nice little, nice little moment. You realize why Milo had to stay behind, right? So there could be a sequel that no one would see? (laughs) Besides the obvious cash grab, the king talks about the fact that there has to be someone of the royal bloodline. Kita's the last one of the royal bloodline. They gotta make babies. Oh. Shag, daughter, shag. Yep. Yes. So then we cut to Milo and Kita in the city, and it's back to being a big, thriving metropolis almost with a bunch of flying fish cars and aqueducts and shit like that. I also wondered kind of where they were going now that they all figured out how to refly these things. But, like, everyone was going somewhere, but I'm like, the island's right Yeah, there's not a lot of traveling to do. (laughs) Self-sustaining. They show that they have, you know, food and fish and that the stuff provides. Where where are you going? Hey, you enjoy a good drive. No, I do. I do. And trust me, if I had a flying fish car, hells yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the end of the movie. It ends with this big, really impressive shot of the whole city. And then I have for my list of good shit overall for the movie, gotta do a shout out to my man James Newton Howard for the music is pretty phenomenal i thought multiple times during the movie like who the fuck does this music because it's really good no i several times specifically when helga is introduced they had a a bluesy sax intro and different things like each thing was definitely keyed to the characters and to what was going on it was very very well done yeah and the graphics I thought were pretty legit too. They weren't quite to the level of combining CGI and animation animation as I would say Target Target? Good lord, Tarzan. Wow. H- honey, what's what's like one of your second favorite Disney movies? Shh. <laughs> I'm very tired, okay? <laughs> Tarzan or Treasure Planet. Those two are I think probably the most seamless combination of the two, but still pretty impressive. You could tell they were kind of figuring out the technology, kind of like the clock scene in Great Mouse Detective. Super, super impressive when it came out, but you could tell it was leading to something greater. Yeah. Kind of similar feel. Yeah, that's all. That's all I got. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's a great time. It's a good movie. I wish I hadn't slept on it. I'm 
as I said last time, you know, I'm really excited for this one and definitely delivered. I mean, again, you know, it was of its time and we've had different stories that have done things from this better since then. And animation since then has gotten better. I honestly caught myself thinking during certain scenes, wow, I really wish they would have made this now because it would only get better. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. So that means it's rating time. On a scale of one to five fish cars, what do you give Atlantis the Lost Empire? Ooh, this, for me, for a Disney cartoon movie, and this is going to say something because I say, I think it's very high praise. I'm going to go four and a half out of five. Wow. Because we had great writing. I think the characters were well fleshed out. I think the animation was decent. I don't think it was amazing. I loved Milo. I loved some of the action that, that happened in it. I hated the villain. We had some good character turns. We had, you know, as far as a story, it was well put together. That being said, I, I think the only thing that I don't have from it that I want out of a Disney movie is I have no theme to catch on to. And I know that this isn't a musical, but like I think one magic carpet ride song or something to really drive that home could have been the, the key for me. Hmm. Man, I'm going to be harder on this than you are. And here's why. I'm going to be hard on this movie for the same reason that I was hard on Eurovision when I was on Boomtron podcast. Yeah. Check it out, by the way. Yeah. Check out Boomtron. They're good folks. So Eurovision and Atlantis should have been made for me. I grew up loving ABBA. I still love ABBA to this day. The whole movie is ABBA music-ish kind of stuff. I love Jules Verne era stuff. I love everything involving Stargate. <laughs> like, my love for Stargate alone should carry me through this movie. And I, I just like it okay. And I don't know why. There's just some kind of disconnect. I like the characters, but I think a lot of the jokes fell a little bit short. There were a couple things that I laughed out loud at, but there were other times in the movie where I thought if they had delivered that better, that would have made me laugh really hard. Like, there were just a couple... I don't know, like, it just didn't quite nail down the humor the way I think it wanted to. I can look at it that way. My personal feeling, I don't think it was the writing per se. I think it was timing. I think that's a directional. Yes. Agreed. 100%. Because I thought, like, that line was really funny, but why didn't I laugh? I think it was an editing choice or a, a directing choice. It did speed through the script a lot. There were a lot of words to get through. There were a lot of explanations that we just kind of... You know, really, yeah, really zip through. Yeah, I think that's part of the other problem is that really it should have been a show. There was a lot of montaging going on. I just felt like I everything was kind of quick and not enough time for me really to get as invested as I wanted to. Right. Even though they were giving me all of these good characters, I felt like we just didn't really get to do much with them because there was too much of trying to get the plot along. And the mythology was so convoluted. It was out there. Like, I still don't fully understand really what they were trying to get at with all the crystal stuff. I I don't know. It okay, just... okay. Let me, let me amend. I will go a four out of five because I already did point out that there were some plot points that were a little ridiculous. And what you have said kind of backs me down a little bit. That being said, I would also say I wish I got more Kida. I think yeah. she could have been a true rising star out of this and... She's relatively forgettable. 
And she's a great voice actress, too. She's been in everything, too. And I can't even think of her name off the top of my head. It's Cree something. Yeah. You know, you've probably heard her voice somewhere. It's, It's one of those. She's one of my favorites out there as far as female voice actresses. But yeah, I didn't dislike it. I just feel like there were so many times where it was almost there, but it just quite wasn't. I understand that. I think you are convincing me to go a little higher than I wanted to. I was originally going to go like a 3.75 because a 3.5 seems too harsh. But I think you've bumped me up to a 4. We're going to middle ground this one. Yeah, we've kind of met in the middle because I do think it was super cool. They had some heavy lessons thrown in there that they snuck in real quick. Like when Milo was scolding Rourke, the commander, for switching on them and basically robbing these people of this power source. He said, hey, you academic, get off of your high horse. Go to a museum and get rid of every stolen item and you'll have an empty building. And I was like, whoo, shit, Disney bringing the truth. Like, damn. So I thought it kind of had some cool things to say about like colonialism and some of the darker sides of history and pointed out some of those things that we've kind of glossed over over the years, but like are pretty shady parts of human history. Yeah, we we suck as humans, let's be honest. I did think it had some cool points and some cool things to say as far as that goes. So yeah, we'll settle together at four. Well, I do believe it is your turn to roll if you want to roll us for next week. All right, let's spin that wheel. It's a palindrome. 373. 373. Bob, you did so good! Ah, what greatness have I bestowed on us? You have bestowed the mighty ducks, motherfucker! Woo! Quack, quack! Yes! Quack, quack! That's right. I am excited about this. I fucking love this movie. I love me some Bill Pullman. Let's I'm see stoked. if it holds up. Not Bill Pullman. I was going to say, Emilio wait, what? Hey, hey, you got to give me credit. They look exactly the fucking same. No, Emilio Estevez. No. A little bit. No, Bill Pullman has a doppelganger, and that's not Emilio Estevez. Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton look nothing alike. Everybody just confuses them because they have the same first name. Until you put them in, you know, the same movie as voice characters. Huh? Was that not in, uh, is that Titan AE? Are they not both in that? Oh, God, it's been so long. I gotta look it up. Just Pullman. Matt Damon, Bill Pullman, Drew Barrymore, Leguizamo, Nathan Lane. Wow, that cast. Ron Perlman, Tone Loke. Obviously, Jim Cummings is in it. It's an animated something. We hope you guys will join us in two weeks for our next film review adventure of The Mighty Ducks. In the meantime, like us on Facebook at Disney Plus Roulette Podcast. And follow us on Twitter at Disney Roulette. And on Instagram at Disney Roulette Pod. And speaking of at Disney Roulette Pod, here's something new. We're on TikTok. We're very old, but I'm going to give it a try. (laughs) Mostly, I think I'm going to have the recipes for the drinks on there. And if, you know, we come up with some fun, goofy videos, we'll throw those on there too. But that is also going to be at Disney Roulette Pod on TikTok. And if you're an old fogey like me, you can just shoot us an email at DisneyRoulettePodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can always do so at browsehousemedia.com slash store. Thanks, as always, to Bob for co-hosting with me, and thank you listeners for joining us. And remember, you guys always come prepared. Gunpowder, nitroglycerin, notepads, fuses, wicks, glue, and paper clips, big ones. You know, just all the supplies.
And hot air balloons. <laughs> and airplanes. 